ready or not, we are heading full steam into the holiday season, right? There's only 18 days until Thanksgiving and only 40 days till Christmas Eve. And I can feel the tension in the room as soon as I shared that. But you know, I think this year, there are a good many of us who are, are kind of hoping and looking forward to a little more normal holiday season, right? Because of the pandemic and how crazy last year was where we're looking forward to maybe traveling, getting together with family and friends. But here's the thing, pandemic or not, what is always pretty normal during the holidays is stress, right? Whether it's financial stress, relational stress, or, or just the stress of an over crowded schedule. The reality is it can often make Thanksgiving feel like stress giving. But here's some good news. There is help and there is hope. And that help comes from a very interesting place. Notice these words from King David from Psalm 119. David says, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in what? What does he say? Right, in your commands. The relief you're looking for this holiday is not gonna be found in the latest self-help book. It's not gonna come from a, a better time management app on your phone or a new prescription from your doctor. It's going to come from the truths and promises of God's word. And so what I thought would be a good idea, instead of waiting to the last minute, let's get a head start on getting prepared for the stress that we're going to face this season. So for the next three weeks, between now and Thanksgiving, we're going to dig into God's Word, to His commands, and discover some practical ways to lower the stress, stress the giving, and get a little more thankful this year. And so today we're gonna start this journey by looking at one of the primary stress givers in the holiday season, and that is other people. The, the family and friends that we spend the holidays with can often be a source of stress. In, in fact, the holidays are to our relationships what a hurricane is to a coastal community, right? They blow through fast, but they leave a wake of destruction in their path. So why, why so many of us deal with the holiday blues and, and holiday stress this time of year? Of course, you know the difference between holiday blues and holiday stress, right? The holiday blues is what you get when you don't get to spend time with your family. Holiday stress is what you get if you do spend time with your family. And so what I want to do to spend some time today to help us deal with the stress-giving people in our lives, I want to look at three truths about relationships, three things that we all need to understand about relationships, and then I want to look at three tips for creating healthy relationships. So let's start with the truth. First truth we need to understand about relationships is that they are messy. Relationships are messy. Relationships are kind of like ice cream. They're sweet to start with, 
But over time and with a little bit of heat, they turn into a sticky mess, right? But here's the thing. Our relationships are messy because we are messy, all of us. And if you put messy people in close proximity to other messy people, stir in a little holiday tension and you have a recipe for stress. And here's what I'm saying. The more you can understand that going into the holidays, the more you can just be aware of it, I believe the more you can prepare yourself for that inevitable stress and tension you're gonna have in your relationships. In fact, notice what the Bible says, Colossians 3.13. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You know what I think is the key phrase in that verse? It's the phrase, each others. Circle that, each others. You see, this this verse is built on the assumption that all of us need to have people make allowances for us, right? It doesn't say make allowance for other people's faults and forgive other people. It says we have to do this for each other. Why? Because we all need others to make allowance for us. We're all partially responsible for the messiness in our relationships. That's why when I officiate a wedding, I always try to say to the couple in the ceremony that having a great marriage is not about looking for perfection in each other. It's about cultivating flexibility, patience, understanding, and forgiveness. Because see, it's not about two people who are perfect for each other. It's about two people who are willing to make allowances for each other. By the way, Jesus, the only not messy person who's ever lived on this planet, even Jesus had messiness in his relationships with his own family, right? Remember when he was 12 years old, what happened? He got left behind in the city of Jerusalem, That's not what's strange. What's strange is it was two days before his parents even realized he was missing. There's a little something going on right there. And then as a grown man, when Jesus had started his public ministry, but he wasn't ready to declare who he was, he attended a wedding with his mother. And at the wedding, the host ran out of wine. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, she knew who he was and what he was capable of. He wasn't ready to reveal that, but she comes to him and says, Jesus, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Fix that problem. Do a miracle. And Jesus like, no, it's not my time. Or in the words of another great winemaker, Ernest and Julio Gallo, he said, I will make no wine before it's time. And he's like, he tells his mom clearly, no. And you know what she does? completely ignores him, turns to the servants and said, he's going to help us out, do whatever he asks, right? I mean, think about that, the, the stress, the dynamics, even Jesus had that. Here's my point. I believe the more that we expect perfection from the people around us, from how our holiday goes and looks, the more we expect perfection, the more stressful those relationships are gonna be. But if we could dial back 
our unrealistic expectations, I believe it will help us dial up the joy this holiday season. Relationships are messy. Number two, they are also meaningful. Relationships are meaningful. As messy as they are, they are essential for our lives. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. The quality of your life will always be directly proportional to the quality of your relationships. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says we are created in God's image and God is a relational God. He has wired us and shaped us to need to be in authentic relationships with others. In fact, relationships are essential to fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Notice 1 John chapter 4. It says, if we love each other, right, we're in relationship with each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. You see what that's saying? That relationships not only allow us to experience God's love in our lives, but it allows us to express God's love to the people around us. Your relationships are as critical to your spiritual, mental, and emotional health as breathing is to your physical health. You won't last long without it. Any of you ever had a cold so bad, you were so stuffed up that it was labor just to breathe. It was so hard just to breathe. Anybody ever had that? Let me see your hands. You ever had a really bad cold? Well, let me ask you this. Did you just give up on breathing? Did you just stop? It's too hard. It's too much work. And yet how many of us give up on relationships, isolate, hold other people at arm's distance because those relationships are messy and hard? Or we run from relationship to relationship and soon as the going gets tough, we bail and we never stay in it long enough to get to the good stuff. Relationships are meaningful. And listen, when I'm talking about relationships, I'm not talking about these surfacey acquaintances. I'm talking about authentic community with a few others, people who know you and, and you know them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because here's the thing, you can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. Some of you may be there today. You're surrounded by people at your campus, and yet you feel like nobody really knows what you're going through. Maybe you're a single mom, and man, you've been doing everything, keeping all the plates spinning, trying to be a mother and father for your kids, and you've been going wide open, and in a moment of exhaustion, you screamed and said horrible things to your kids, and immediately you felt regret and shame, like you're a horrible person. But nobody knows that. You've got nobody to share that with. Or maybe you're a couple and we see you on Sundays and you look like you've got it all together and your marriage is great, but behind closed doors, you're sleeping in separate rooms and barely even speaking to each other. But nobody knows it. 
Or or maybe you're a a business person and you travel a lot for work. And every time you pack up to go on one of those trips, you say to yourself, I'm not going to give in to temptation this time. This time I'm not going to watch those channels in my hotel room. And you have all this willpower, but somehow you cave in and you watch that stuff and immediately you feel guilt and shame, but nobody knows it. And you keep fighting that battle by yourself. You don't have to do that. God has given you a family, a church family, messy, imperfect people who are stumbling towards Jesus and are willing to walk with you. Or maybe for you, your, your biological family is distant. They live somewhere else or, or they're just so dysfunctional that you can't even be with them. But God has given you the gift of his family to connect in authentic relationships with. That's why home groups are such a big deal. The heart of who we are as a church because that's where you get to be in messy, authentic, real, helpful relationships with others. But look, that's not going to happen unless you reach out. I can talk about it. We can talk about it every week. But until you say, you know what, I need that. And I'm going to push past whatever barriers are keeping me from that because I need to breathe desperately. Relationships are messy. Relationships are meaningful. And finally, relationships matter most. As messy as they are, they are the most important thing in our life. Listen, your greatest accomplishment in this life will not be your financial achievement. It will not be the awards you get. It will not be your Instagram fame. It will come from the positive impact you have on others. And you can only make a positive impact on others up close and personal in the context of relationships. Sure, you can make an impression from a distance or online, but you can only make a difference in skin-to-skin, life-to-life, knee-to-knee, heart-to-heart relationships. See, listen, the true joy of the holidays is not going to be your dining room table decoration, Martha Stewart. The joy of the holidays is not going to be on how perfect your turkey and dressing turns out. The true joy of the holiday season will be the messy people that you get to spend it with. So let me ask you this. What is one thing you can do over the next six weeks to prioritize relationships this holiday? To make the most out of the moments you get to be with others. Maybe for you it is about dialing back the expectations of their behavior of how you think the holidays should go. Maybe for you, it's pouring out a little more grace on the messy people around you. Or maybe for you, it's just rethinking how important relationships really are. So let's get practical. How do we do this? How do we make the most out of our relationships? 
Well, look, there's no better example of this than the greatest relationship expert who's ever lived, Jesus. And so we're going to dig down into a couple of examples from Jesus' life and a couple of words that Jesus said to discover three healthy relationship requirements. Three things that a healthy relationship requires. Number one, it requires selflessness. Healthy relationships require selflessness. The more you put yourself at the center of your relationships, the less healthy your relationships will be for you. Now that sounds counterintuitive, right? Because it feels like to get the most out of a relationship, I need to get the most from my relationship. It needs to be good for me. It needs to work for me. It needs to meet my needs. But if you look at Jesus' life, you see the exact opposite. Putting the needs of others ahead of his own was the theme of Jesus' life. In fact, John, the apostle John, who was one of three people who was closest to Jesus on this earth, spent the most time with him. John, as an old man, would look back over his life and his time with Jesus, and he would write these words in 1 John 3. He said, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Here's why I love that verse. One, John not only points us to the example of Jesus' selflessness, but he calls us to live selflessly, and then he says, do it practically. Do something about it. See, the healthiest relationships are built on people who are willing to selflessly serve each other. Now, look, I get it. You can't control the other person in that relationship, whether they're selfish or selfless. You can't control them, but you can control you. You can choose to serve selflessly, whether they do or not. So let me ask you this. Who could you serve this holiday season? Who could you do something selfless for? Now, I'm not talking about packing a shoebox or, or adopting a kid in the community. I mean, those are great things. I'm not talking about, you know, giving food or shelter to a homeless person. Those are good, but that's an easy way to be selfless. I'm talking about the people you live with. I'm talking about the people you're going to spend time with. It's a whole lot harder, isn't it, to selflessly serve the messy people close to us than it is the messy strangers we pass on the street. But here's what I want you to realize. When you go into this holiday season, sometimes it's that person who is least deserving of your love and service who just might be the person most in need of it. Healthy relationships require selflessness. Secondly, they also require sympathy. Healthy relationships require sympathy. Now, most of us, we hear the word sympathy and we think that means feeling sorry for someone. 
feeling sorry for what they've got or don't have what they're going through. But that's not sympathy, that's pity. Pity destroys relationships. Sympathy builds relationships up. Webster defines sympathy as simply this, understanding and affirming the feeling of another. Let me say that again. Understanding and affirming the feelings of another. It doesn't mean we agree with what they're feeling or why they're feeling it. It just means we understand that is what they're feeling and it is okay for them to feel that way. This is a truth I learned the hard way after 36 years of marriage. Because I remember very early on in our marriage relationship, before we had kids, I was working, teaching, and coaching. Terry was working as a nurse at the hospital. And I would remember some days I would come home from work and she would be there visibly upset either crying or angry, something had gone wrong that day. And I would ask her about it, honey, what's the matter? And she would begin to pour out her heart about this problem or this issue or this person. And usually before she could get the second sentence of her out of her mouth about what happened, I'm like, whoa, 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 baby, you don't need to feel that way. I can fix it. We can do this. We can change that. You don't need to cry about this. And then she'd get mad, cry harder and leave the room. And I'm like, what did I do? I was just trying to help i tell you what I did. She wasn't looking for me to solve the problem. She was just looking for somebody to understand how she was feeling. Am I right, ladies? Amen, right? Now, sometimes she did want me to solve the problem. How do you know the difference? I have no earthly idea. You're on your own with that, guys. We need sympathy. You know what's interesting? Jesus had great capacity for sympathy, right? On a macro level, for all the needs of people. The Bible tells us that Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem, saw the crowds, and he felt compassion for them because they were hopeless and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And listen, he knew he was solving their problem. He was their shepherd. He was bringing hope beyond their circumstances. But in spite of knowing he was going to solve their problem, he felt their pain. You also see it on a macro level with Jesus. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? What does the shortest verse in the Bible say? Say it out loud. Jesus wept. You know that verse, but do you know the context? Do you know why Jesus was weeping? It was because of the death of his good friend, Lazarus. Jesus had gotten word that in Bethany, Lazarus was sick and it was getting bad. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, reached out and said, you need to come, Jesus, it's bad. And Jesus got delayed. And you can almost read that passage and it looks like Jesus intentionally delayed going there. But for whatever reason, by the time Jesus got to Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for three days. And when Mary, one of his sisters, heard that Jesus was coming into town, she ran out to meet him. And look at this encounter, John chapter 11. It says, when Jesus saw her, when he saw Mary weeping, and the Jews, her friends who had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And that's why Jesus wept. But you understand, Jesus' tears were not for his own grief. 
He already knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he didn't say to Mary, quit your crying. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Her pain caused him pain. He felt it. Even though he knew it was unnecessary, he had sympathy. And guess what, church? We're called to do the same thing. Look at Romans 15, 2 from the Living Bible paraphrase. It says, we must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Notice it doesn't say if those doubts and fears are valid. It doesn't say if they make sense to us. We are to just be considerate. I never understood why my parents, when I was a kid, why my parents were so tight with money. I mean, we were not wealthy, but we weren't poor. We were somewhere comfortably in the middle, but they never spent extravagantly on themselves or on us as children. I never got a mini bike for Christmas, and I didn't understand that. I'm like, why? I know they can afford it until I was in the 11th grade in high school and in a U.S. history course and I began to learn about the Great Depression. And I did the math and I, I realized they grew up. They lived through that season. And it created doubts and fears that were real to them. Right? Even though they, they didn't match with current economic standing, they had doubts and fears that were real to them. It didn't change the fact that I was hurt. I didn't get a mini bike, but it helped me understand and affirm the feelings they had. See, I, I think this holiday season, you know that one person that drives you crazy, that uncle, that family member that just gets on your very last nerve? Maybe there's a reason they act the way they act. I'm pretty sure they've got some doubts and some fears and some insecurities. And listen, I'm not saying enable those destructive behaviors. And I'm not saying allow yourselves to be controlled by their doubts and fears. That's not good. I'm just saying be a little more understanding, a little more sympathetic. Healthy relationships require sympathy, Healthy relationships also require setting limits. That's the third tip for relationships. They require setting limits. Healthy boundaries are one of the best tools we have to build healthy, strong relationships. You've heard that old saying, good fences make great neighbors, right? And it's true. But do you know why it's true? Good fences make great neighbors, not because they keep us apart, but because they define what's my responsibility and what's your responsibility. We know what's on you and what's on me. And that same thing is true in our relationships. Boundaries just help me know what I'm responsible for and gives to you what you are responsible for. And Jesus was the master at setting boundaries and limits. Limits on himself and limits on other people. 
You know, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. And so he put limits on himself, right? He could only work so hard. He, he had to eat. He had to sleep. He only had so many hours in a day while he was here. And Jesus lived by those limits. Notice Luke chapter 5, what it says. Crowds of people came to hear him, to hear Jesus speak, and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Do you see that? Think about this now. Some of these people had walked for days to get to Jesus. And they had real sicknesses. And they were as desperate for healing as the people Jesus actually healed. And yet with all of that need, all of those people wanting something from him, Jesus would slip out of the back of the village and go and rest and be restored by time with his father. You see those limits? That's so healthy. Let, let me say this. Self-care, you hear this phrase a lot now, this idea of self-care, taking time, taking care of yourself to stay healthy. This is not some snowflake millennial concept that is weakening America. This is a truth taught by and demonstrated by Jesus he set limits on himself. Some of you this holiday, please, dear Lord, set some limits on yourself. Set some limits on your schedule, on all the gifts and all the stuff. Set limits on what you're willing to do. But look, Jesus not only set limits on himself, he set limits on other people as well. In fact, towards the end of his ministry on earth, once the disciples figured out who he was, that he was the Messiah, Jesus started telling them about what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem. That the Son of Man is going to be delivered over. That he's going to be beaten and crucified. He's telling them what's going to happen during that Passion Week. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, boss, you got to stop talking like that. You're discouraging the troops. Let's keep it positive. Let's keep it upbeat. And I want you to notice Jesus' response to Peter. Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, I don't know about you. To me, that seems a little harsh to call Peter Satan. I mean, why not just pull Peter aside and say, Peter, listen, you just don't understand. There's a bigger picture, my kingdom. Just, I'm okay, you're okay, just chill out. No, he says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because I believe Jesus wanted to make it crystal clear that his agenda for his life came from God and not from Peter or anybody else's expectations on what his life would be. No, he doesn't hate Peter. He doesn't permanently cut Peter out of his life. He just simply sets limits on the amount of control he will give to Peter over his life. We must be considerate of the doubts and fears of others, but we can't let those doubts and fears determine the direction of our lives. And the more healthy boundaries you are willing to set on yourself and the more healthy boundaries you're willing to set on others, 
the less stress giving your thanksgiving will be this year. So let me close with this question. Of all the things we've talked about today, and I know like drinking from a fire hydrant, right? It's a lot of stuff here. But of all of that, what one thing do you need most to do? What do you need to change going into this holiday? Is it your unrealistic expectations? Do you need to have some more limits on yourself or how much control you will give to others in your life? Do you need to pour out a little more grace and sympathy and understanding on the people you'll be with? Whatever that step is, here's what I want you to know. You gotta take it for it to make a bit of difference. Knowing it, writing it down on your outline is not gonna change a thing for you this holiday. But I'm convinced if you'll be intentional, if you'll make some changes and decisions, you will find joy like you've never experienced in your holidays this year. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I am so thankful that your word is so alive and active and it is truly sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting down to even the heart, the bone, the marrow of our struggles. And so I'm thankful, as painful as it is to recognize these changes we need to make and as hard as it will be to develop consistency with them in our lives, I'm thankful to know that we can be transformed through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. So Jesus, you gotta pour out your spirit right now. You gotta move among your people and bring about the transformation and the peace and the promises that you offer to us. So have your way with us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.